episode 218 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot to Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit learnthefinerpoints.com. My name is Maggie Olchik. I am a commercial airline pilot. I fly an Airbus 320. And prior to that, I flew a Gulfstream all over the world. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's podcast is with Maggie. Maggie is a current major airline pilot. And as you hear, she took a little bit of a different approach to becoming a major airline pilot. Uh, she came over to the corporate side for a little bit. And yes, she did go back, but uh, it was great to hear someone uh, coming from the corporate side and still following their dreams and getting on with a major carrier. So it was awesome to hear Maggie's story. I was so thankful for her coming on and sharing her story. If you liked today, Today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. And make sure you check out Pilot's Coffee, the best coffee in the game. Aviation, I want to keep you any longer. So any further ado, here's Maggie. Maggie, what is going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. It's I'm, an honor. I'm excited to have you too. This is, uh, is going to be fun. Uh, Chicago, right? We both live in Chicago. Well, soon I won't be in Chicago anymore, but now... We can say that we both live in Chicago. <laughs> we do. The yeah. windy city. Today, yeah, the rainy city. Yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's been gray and gloomy. Yesterday, we had a little bit of sun, but it's been... Uh, I'm ready for spring, man. I'm ready for, uh, for some good weather to come back. Yeah, you and I both. We need some sunshine. Oh my gosh, please. Uh, but anyways, that's enough about the weather for now. We can complain about that in a little bit. Uh, tell me about yourself. Tell me about uh, why you wanted to be a pilot and kind of go all the way back to the beginning of, of when Maggie realized that, hey, I want to be a pilot. Oh, my goodness. So my path into aviation was not exactly intentional. Um, so my parents and I emigrated from Poland uh, after the fall of communism in the 90s. And most of my childhood was spent with us kind of adapting to this new place and culture. Uh, so after a few years of arriving and learning the language, um, which, by the way, I self-taught myself through watching a lot of uh, uh, Sesame Street <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, Happy Days and 90210. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. So um, after a few years, I happened to be in high school. And uh, I didn't really grow up with any pilots in the family, nor in our circle of friends. So my exposure to the aviation world was very limited. Um, but I had caught the travel bug when I'd go back and visit family in Poland um, during the summertime growing up. So I knew I wanted to go to college and study a profession that would allow me to travel the world. And my grand intention and idea was to become a journalist or a photographer for National Geographic. And if that didn't pan out, then my adult, more adult-like plan was then to go to business school and uh, 
do something entrepreneurial, <laughs> which is funny because um, I didn't exactly do that, but I stayed in the business world because I flew business jets for most of my career, um, which we'll get to a little later. But um, while I was a junior in high school, my dad had befriended a pilot. So they kind of planted the seed um, and kind of left it at that. No one really wanted to pressure me to go into aviation. Um, but I was uh, the captain of my track and field um, team in high school. And I spent a lot of days and, and times and nights on the track. And my high school coach um, one day asked me the same thing. He's like, listen, you know, what's, what's the grand plan here? What are you going to do in, in a year or so? And I had kind of mentioned, you know, aviation because it was still in my in my thought process from the conversation I had, you know, with my dad. So he kind of put that in his back pocket and, and left it at that. And after the track season was over, he's like, Maggie, you know, why don't you meet me um, at this place on Saturday morning? So he gave me the address. I drove out there and I ended up at this tiny airport in the middle of nowhere in Grace Lake. And I remember thinking, you know, I saw the runway and I saw small little airplanes and I thought, you know, the, the, <laughs> the longest runway, the, the width is, is narrower than my parents' driveway. Like, where are we? So we get up and um, my coach's best friend from childhood uh, decides to take us up and we fly over the high school track. We fly over my house. I remember calling my mom from my cell phone. She's out there like, you know, flailing her arms in the backyard, super excited. And by the time we made it back to the house, I'm like, I don't know how, but I've got to make this happen. <laughs> and that's kind of how it started. That's so cool. So what was the initial conversation with your dad uh, or kind of how did that whole thing play out? You mentioned that there was a business jet type deal. Uh, what was proposed? What was kind of, what was the thought process that got this ball started or got the ball rolling? So the business just actually didn't, um, instead of going into the regional airline world, um, after flight instructing, I decided to fly private business jets. But initially, my dad just met this gentleman through work. And, um, you know, he kind of, he, he, they exchanged many conversations by that point. And he, he remembered my conversation stating, you know, I really would love to travel. I want to, I want to see the world. He's like, well, what better way to do it than, <laughs> than to fly? You can become a pilot and do this as a living. But to me, that idea and concept really didn't hold or mean anything at the time because I had no idea what that world entailed. So, yeah, I just, uh, I entertained it, but it wasn't until that flight that I actually got to sit in the airplane and and be up there that I knew that that's what I wanted to do. What are the chances your coach had a friend that had a small plane or had the ability to rent a small plane to go up and fly? That's pretty cool. You know, just didn't <laughs> think about that because if it weren't for him, I don't know if I ever would have um, decided to do this. 
it's it's pretty ironic yeah the timing and and the happenstance of it all so that was pretty cool yeah it's always funny because it seems like there's always these moments in people's lives i mean obviously there's the certain people that know they want to be pilots from the moment they're born i wasn't one of them and a lot of people aren't one of them but there's always these moments that either build up on each other or it's just being in the right place at the right time or the right connection kind of just opens the door and it's like, Hey, you know, you can do this too. And it's like, wait, really me? I can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Which is just, you know, it's, you've had so many conversations with, with other folks that have been in my similar situation where all it takes is just one, one chance encounter or one instant to completely change the trajectory of someone's life. Absolutely. So were you surprised at how easy it actually is aside from money? Cause obviously it is very expensive, but were you surprised at how easy it is to start the process of becoming a pilot? Um, I was, yeah, I really was. And I think more so I realized that more so after I was flight instructing, you know, building time and I would get a lot of international students and they would, you know, come over here, do the majority of their training here. And a lot of times it was one, it was more cost effective for them to do so. But also it was just so much more difficult back wherever they were from to do that. Um, the bureaucracy and logistics of it seemed a lot more painful <laughs> uh, where they were from. So, And it's way more expensive, which if you can even imagine that. I know flying in Europe is just absolutely crazy. It is, yeah. Have you ever looked back on it? And not if you stayed in Poland, but say like your friends that you have in Poland, have you ever looked into like what the process would have been like for you to become a pilot in Poland? I had, yeah. So, you know, because our, our careers um, are so dictated upon what's happening, you know, on a global scale uh, with reference to, you know, whether there's a recession or a global event or a pandemic, et cetera. Um, there was a moment in time where I'm like, you know what? It's just, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. <laughs> I was, I was quickly running out of patience. I'm like, okay, I am a, you know, I'm a European citizen. Let me see if I could do it that route. And it's funny because I would have had to start everything basically from the beginning. Um, and all of my ratings Um, over again, including all of the written exams where I'm like, well, not going that route. (laughs) Yeah, no thanks. Yeah. And they have a lot more written exams than we have, don't they? I think they do. Yeah. Yeah, There's, I think, 14 total. Yeah, no thanks. Hard pass. Exactly. Hard, hard pass. Someone would have told me how to do that. I'd be like, I'm good. I'm just going to go do a normal job. Exactly. So what was the process like for you? So you are, are what did you say? Were you a junior in high school or a sophomore in high school? A junior. A junior in high school. You go up and you are now in the air for the first time. You love it. When you land, is it immediately, this is what I want to do? Or was it like, oh, that was cool. All right, let's go to class now or let's go back to practice. Like, what was your thought process after that? Oh my goodness, Justin, it was immediate. (laughs) It was without a shadow of a doubt. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm doing it. (laughs) It was that kind of vibe. So I didn't know how I was going to make it happen. And, And honestly, looking back at it, I was so resilient and stubborn as well, because I, I just wanted it so badly, but it would have been 
easier and helpful for sure to have some some form of mentorship you know to guide you along the way um particularly for someone who didn't have any pilots growing up or didn't have the knowledge of what that entailed i think it might have saved a little bit of stress along the way or just to like to know that you're you're going to be okay uh, other people have struggled with this or this is very common yeah having a mentor is huge and it's one of those things I've said it a million times that everyone should have a mentor, but it's not easy to get a mentor. It's not easy to find that person that vibes perfectly well with you or that's willing to to give up some free time to to talk with you and kind of share their route and just lend an ear to listen. So it, it can be difficult to find a mentor too. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I did have uh, really kind people throughout my journey. Um, so I can't say I did it completely alone. That wouldn't be entirely fairly fair either but it's it's always it's always better i think mentally to know that you have someone that you could call day or night <laughs> no matter what if you're going through something or if you're unsure to have um that person to to make sure you know you're going to be okay so did you have a mentor or is this something you wish you had uh so i had different people um throughout my career I had, you know, I befriended people with every uh, prof- uh, professional job I got. So I got really close to every flight department. There was always a really strong camaraderie. And those friendships I would carry with me. And I still am very close to a lot of those pilots and um, people that had various positions within companies. But as far as having someone when I was just starting out, I did not. Uh, that part, I, I, I kind of did solo. So that very beginning, that foundation would have been really nice. <laughs> Absolutely. What was your, what was your kind of progress or what, not progress, what was your path like to become a pilot? What, did you start training right away? Did you uh, take a couple of years to do it or what did that look like? <laughs> no, <laughs> I did it right away. So I, I got, I, I, after that flight, after that initial flight with my coach and his friend, um, I think I signed up for flight lessons later that week. And again, you know, my parents not knowing anything about the subject. Um, my dad was very excited. My mom was a little bit cautious. She's, she's a nervous flyer. So (laughs) she was a little bit nervous about the whole endeavor. Um, but yeah, I signed up, I signed up later that week and it just, happened to be um august of september 2001 (laughs) so or august uh, august of september 2001 so the timing really wasn't ideal (laughs) so yeah talk about that though what was your thought process of obviously august you're signing up and you're so excited uh you start your lessons and then september comes and there's this whole doom and gloom over the industry on september 11th Talk about the the before and after of kind of your mental thought process of should I still do this or is it even worth it or what were you thinking? You know, I think at that age and at that moment in time, I didn't quite grasp the severity of the situation or quite understand the repercussions of what that single event would do, particularly to the aviation world and community. Um, I was still naively in the honeymoon phase, despite you know, everything that had happened, it was, it was really awful and tragic, but I didn't 
didn't realize, you know, that it would affect the industry in that profound way. So for me, I was still, you know, kind of that happy-go-lucky kid. Like, hey, we're still doing this. It's, you know, it's, this is awful. But I didn't process and maybe because I hadn't um, had that much exposure to aviation, I didn't also quite understand all the changes that were being implemented. So, you know, obviously the the relations between passengers and flight attendants and security, that I knew changed drastically, but I didn't realize all these, you know, crazy amounts of furloughs, et cetera, that followed for what was later would become the lost decade. So it wasn't until after I graduated college and now, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build flight time. I became um, a CFI, double I, MEI, all that stuff. And I really wanted just to build the time to get out and be an airline pilot as quickly as possible. Um, so when I did that, and then I realized that, um, you know, things had, had slowed down and changed from the hiring perspective. It wasn't until then that I thought, oh, shoot, I might be in trouble here. <laughs> and I don't know how long I'm going to be in trouble for. So it wasn't until then that it started to hit me. How long, of a, how long did it take you to go from kind of starting in August to getting all your CFI ratings? So I did it through a 141 school and um, it took about four and a half years for me. It takes a long time. <laughs> it's not, it I know does. there's, there's some, I was ATP, you can get it in like six months and that's insane to me. But I, it took me a good amount of time to get all my, to get my private, it took, probably took me about three years just because I played sports, but it is very common for, for it to take someone more than the six months it takes someone for ATP. So if anyone's listening, getting discouraged, that they're not getting it done in six months. It's perfectly okay. <laughs> you will be oh, fine and you will still get hired sure. by someone eventually, you know? For sure. And I think, you know, it's all dependent upon where you are in your life and what kind of route you decide to do. But in my particular situation, again, I didn't know any different or any better. I just knew I wanted to have a four-year degree to kind of fall back on in case the flying didn't pan out. And that's just how long everything took. So to me, it was normal. And then I started to teach and came across, you know, schools like ATP where I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> it took you how long? Yeah. What? You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so did you choose a college that had an aviation department or did you just happen to go to college that had one? Uh, no, I chose a college that had an aviation department. Where'd you go? I went to University of Illinois in Champaign. Yeah. So it kind of gave me, you know, a taste like the best of both worlds. It gave me the taste of like a big 10 school, um, like a huge campus, you know, it was like huge campus. There's so many people go to that school. It's insane. Oh my goodness. It's, it is insane. Like over 50,000. And then we had our own little aviation department. And just to give you an idea, the school is really so big that when I would go, you know, have coffee with friends or go to a party and everyone always asks you like, what are you studying? And I tell them I'm at the Institute of Aviation. They'd be like, wait, here we have that? 
I'm like, yeah, we do. And we, we, we have a whole aviation department. We have our own airplanes. <laughs> like their minds will be blown. So that was pretty funny. Do they, I feel like I heard that they don't have a program anymore. Am I wrong? No, you're right. You're oh, right. No, so, so sad. It is. Yeah. So they, uh, last I heard they partnered with a uh, community college uh, nearby and they kind of, um, yeah, restructured the program in that kind of fashion. But yeah, I was bummed to hear. We, uh, a lot of the alumni actually tried to, to uh, save it, you know, with petitions, et cetera, but uh, out of our hands, <laughs> above above our pay grade. Yeah, absolutely. When I was at Ohio State, the president of the university was trying to shut the program down. He was trying to get rid of it. But he was also, Ohio State owns and operates their own airport and he was also trying to op- shut down that airport. But they took FAA money so they realized very fast that they were not able to do that. So uh, they were not able to shut it down and it's still going. I don't know if it's going well, but <laughs> it's still a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, I feel like aviation departments, they're just such a gem. They, they bring such a unique addition to a university or to any school. It would, it's such a shame when they go away. Kind of like how my heart will forever be broken by Mexfield closing. <laughs> I know. But like I so guess many pilots. when you're an outsider, all you see is money and liability and you don't see really the benefit of it, you know? Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, so you did the normal, not normal route, but a very normal route of going to a 141 (laughs) university, a four-year school, and it's very possible to get all your ratings in four years and graduate on time. Now, it's harder in a Midwest school, which I'm sure you learned because living in the Midwest, it is constantly cloudy and constantly cold and windy. And it's not like California or Florida. You're not flying every day. Oh, my gosh. This place is a nightmare (laughs) for a student pilot. I mean, so there are are great benefits because you learn to fly in all kinds of weather, uh, wind, et cetera. So from that aspect, I really appreciate it. But from a consistency and getting your, your confidence built up, I think it'd be better to do it in a more stable environment for sure. So if you had to go do it again, would you go somewhere else? Um, I think, you know, if I had to do it again, I might go somewhere in, in Florida or yeah, or California. Um, I, it's ironic because I ended up in, instructing later, um, in Florida Phoenix and then California. <laughs> <laughs> so you still made it down there. I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, so yeah. So where was I going to go with this? Yeah. So oh, the other thing is, do you think you would have gone to a four-year school? So say still go to Illinois, get the whole experience and then go to Florida and train, or would you have just done ATP in Florida, get it done as soon as possible, get all your ratings, get a degree online and try to get on with any airline as fast as possible? You know, Justin, it's funny you say that because I think a lot of people would say do it as quickly as humanly possible, but I actually really liked my route. Um, I think it was very deliberate and it was, it gave me a different perspective. You know, I, I often thought what it would, 
feel like to go to a university that was just for pilots more or at least more geared towards pilots like Embry-Riddle but I kind of got the best of both worlds right so I had all my aviation nerdy friends <laughs> we would geek out to Microsoft Flight Sim and then I would get to a chance and opportunity to meet all these other people from all over you know the country and the world studying all these other cool subjects that maybe I wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. So I think I would have done the same thing. When you are recommending people, so I'm sure you've now made it quote unquote in the aviation industry, you know, working at a major airline, that's kind of like the goal. Uh, people probably ask you all the time what your advice is. Do you give that same advice or do you say just get it done as soon as possible for your degree isn't as important anymore? Um, you know, I still tell them, do whatever you feel you you would benefit from and be happiest with at the end of the day. So I actually don't tell people to do it as quickly as possible um, because I want them to know that they're not, I don't want people to feel regret that they're going to miss out on something by skipping some steps and just getting there quickly. Like to me, um, at the time when I was building time and building my career to get to a major airline, um, at those moments, I felt like I was wasting time a little bit. And sometimes I'd get frustrated and um, I would really want to get to that end goal. And now that I've gotten here, I reflect upon that time and I look back and I think, you know, I am so happy I did it that way. I got to experience things that I would have never gotten to had I just skipped that and gotten to it to an airline um, right from the beginning. So I tell people, take your time and experience everything because particularly if you want the end goal to be an airline pilot, you know, once you get there, I don't want to say you're stuck, but let's just say you are committed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you are. This is this is a long-term relationship. <laughs> yeah. And it's gonna be rocky too. It's not perfect all the time. Exactly. Whether you want it or not, yeah. <laughs> divorce is really not an option no. because that means a, a great deal of sacrifices, uh, which many people, you know, as you know, you're kind of, you're kind of stuck, um, seniority wise, uh, financially, et cetera. So yeah. take your time. I only think I've heard of two people that have switched airlines and it's still crazy to me thinking that someone would switch from one major airline to another, like unless it absolutely had to. Yeah. Yeah. A close friend of mine actually did that. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing yeah. I had a good reason for it, but it just doesn't make sense to me on the outside looking in. But it's like, kind of like we said though, it's uh, if you have it dead set in your mind or you want to live in a certain city and fly a certain airplane, you might have to switch airlines. Absolutely. And I think majority of the time, that's actually what it comes down yeah. to. So yeah, it's all about quality of life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and it's funny that you brought up saying that you don't necessarily tell people to get it done as soon as possible. Uh, get it done, meaning get your get your ratings and become a pilot as soon as possible. It is crazy to think about, but when you're in that moment, it feels like it's taking forever. But the moment gets to you so much faster than you can imagine. I know it feels like it takes forever, but you will soon be flying a 121 plane around or a fractional or a big business jet around sooner than you think. And you really need to try to enjoy 
the whole process from the beginning to the end, the end being your dream job. Uh, whether you're flying aerial survey, whether you're flying freight, whether you're flying jets, uh, crappy corporate life, whatever it is, it's like, just enjoy that. It's very temporary and you're never going to get to fly those planes ever again. And it's hard to do in the moment, but it's very important to do so. I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, 1000%. <laughs> those are the fundamental building blocks too. You know, all those little experiences that you build upon that you get and what you said is absolutely right. You will probably never get a chance to fly those airplanes. So why not just live in the moment and enjoy it? Or even like a 172 or 182. It's like most major airline pilots or fractional pilots aren't going back to their local airport to go fly small planes. You know, it's like that chapter's done. You you go yeah. fly your 320, 321, and then you go home. And the last thing you want to do is go fly an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I know, Except that's me. Crazy. I would do that, but <laughs> I'm <laughs> but, a weirdo. <laughs> but you'd probably agree that you are rare in that. Like most of the pilots you talk to probably don't do that. No, you're right. You're right. As a matter of fact, I I joke with them. Um, you know, a lot of my 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 crew, uh, the crews and the crew members I fly with, and they look at me like I have two heads every time I mention it. So you're right. Let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor, RAA. You work hard flying the line to build financial security for your family and yourself. However, to prepare properly for retirement, you need more than hard work. Having a co-pilot to help guide your route can be the difference between struggling through retirement and living comfortably after your final landing. Not sure where to start? RAA can help. Learn more about RAA's commitment to the aviation community and what it's like meeting with one of their specialized advisors. Founded by pilots for pilots and with four decades of financial planning and investment management experience, RAA is intimately familiar with unique benefits, risks, and career timelines that pilots face. Whether you're early in your career as a pilot or you spent years flying the line, RAA is here to help you navigate your financial journey from takeoff to touchdown. For more pilot-specific planning tips, go to raa.com slash pilot to pilot. And now back to today's episode. Uh, talk to me about your process of getting your ratings. Was it easier than you thought, harder than you thought? Did you struggle with it at all or was it pretty smooth sailing? Um, so I think overall... It was a little bit, um, I can't say it was more difficult than I expected because I really didn't know what to expect, but, um, the, the reading that gave me, I think the most, um, the most trouble was the instrument rating. And once I got through that, it was pretty smooth sailing, um, the CFI was, you know, that was challenging. And after receiving that certificate, it, it wasn't until I started teaching that I realized I actually am now learning what I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why I do that. Yeah, it's like, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> when you have to explain something to a student three or four different ways because if something's not clicking, that's when you're like, oh man, now I have to pull all this stuff out of my toolbox, but I don't even know what I have in my toolbox. So, <laughs> Did you always know you wanted to be a CFI or did you try to find any other route to get your hours? No, absolutely not. I wanted to avoid that like the plague. <laughs> absolutely no part of me wanted to be a CFI. That's funny. How long did you but CFI for? Uh, I did it for, I think, nine months. So it wasn't very long. Uh, but I'll be honest, I it be, being from the Chicagoland area, 
there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity to build time in any other fashion. So becoming a CFI was kind of the natural process. So I had made a decision after college to go the expedited route, meaning I need to go to a place that has nice weather. Because if I'm going to do something I don't care for, I want to do it as quickly as possible. By a beach or something, right? Some sunshine. Exactly. <laughs> so I actually flight instructed um, at a school that was uh, in Florida initially and just tried to, you know, knock out as much time as possible. I uh, shortly after relocated to Phoenix and... Um, found out that I actually really liked it. So there was a little plot in the, or a twist in the plot <laughs> where I really, really liked it. I enjoyed it. So it kind of came full circle, but needless to say, um, I ended up getting my first job uh, while instructing and then moved on to the corporate world. When you were studying to be a CFI, did you find it hard to find motivation and struggling to actually go through with it because you just knew you didn't want to do it or we're just like, there's no other options. This is the only route. I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to get it done. Uh, it was a little bit of both. You know, I kind of went through periods of really not wanting to initially I was, I was very motivated um, and I really wanted to do well. So I had all these lessons planned out. I had a very structured a plan of, of kind of how I wanted to, to do it and line up for success because I also knew, you know, taking a CFI check ride, man, it's one of the hardest check rides you'll ever yeah. take. It's I wanted like, nothing to do with that. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. No one does. It's an yeah. enormous amount of stress. <laughs> and the success rate is pretty low. I think at our local FISDO, uh, well, I did it. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, at, at the local physio, I think the first time pass rate was about twenty percent. Wow, so, that's insane. Yeah, and it was really lousy, and it was notorious for that. It was notorious for for uh, giving students like five plus hour oral exams, and then really difficult check rides in the airplane. So, kind of that mentality going into it. At the end, you knew what was waiting for you. So that was a little bit uh, unmotivating in the whole process. But yeah, it was a little bit of a combination. How hard was it for you to leave Chicago and go to nice weather and fly more? Was it an easy decision or was it a tough decision? Justin, I graduated and I think a week later, I packed my car. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't easy from, you know, leaving my family behind because I was going really far away from home, particularly for the first time, you know, going to school in Champaign, you're three hours away from Chicago. So it's not a big deal, <laughs> but going far away, that was a little bit of a different territory. So that part made it, uh, I was a little bit homesick in the beginning, but you know, you're young and you have all this excitement and hope for the future. You just want to build that time as fast as possible. So that was my mentality. Yeah. That's the best mentality to have. And 
and having the ability to go travel and go chase after those jobs is huge. Uh, a lot of people are so focused on staying in their local area and they might be able to find the best instructor job or the best corporate job if they are just willing to move. And now obviously people have different circumstances. Not everyone's able to do that, but it can be very helpful if you're open to, to trying a new spot out because there's a lot of places that's just not a good spot to build your time. Uh, whether it's the Midwest, whether it's somewhere out west or northeast, uh, you just might be kind of SOL and you might need to go to Florida or Arizona. Right. And you know how difficult it is to build multi-engine time yes. in particular when you're a student. So it was kind of known around the Chicagoland area at the time that there was this one travel air known as the travel skier <laughs> that basically everyone went to to build time. And a lot of my friends kind of paired up and rented this old beast and would fly it all over the country to build time because getting uh, an instructor job uh, in a multi-engine aircraft was just so difficult. There just weren't many around. So that, that was one of the more prominent ways to do it. So instead of playing that game, I thought, you know what, I'm going to hook up with a flight school that has a fleet of multi-engine airplanes. And that's what I want to instruct in predominantly. And that's exactly what I did. So it required me to move across the country twice. But, you know, like you said, you sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. Yeah, multi-time is everything. <laughs> Getting multi-time as fast as you can is is huge. And it's a big barrier for a lot of people. I know the regionals have helped out. Uh, I know you didn't go that path, but I know the regionals have really kind of and you might have to waive the sign-on bonus that you get at a regional, but I'm, I think they set up a course and go have you get all the multi-time before you start your class date. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And you know, various uh, regionals have, you know, different programs, but yeah, they recognize it's it's not easy. But you were able to avoid the regionals. Talk about that process. Was that another thing? Like you didn't want to be in the regionals, like you didn't want to be a CFI, you wanted to avoid it like the plague? Absolutely not. <laughs> In this instance, I actually, once again, had no experience or any knowledge of private business jet charter. I had no idea what that world was about. So my my game plan while I was instructing was to follow the path of all of my friends in flight school and every single person I knew went to some regional and I was building my time and getting my applications together. I mean, I would log, you know, every 10th of flight time, I'd uh, add my logbook up every night. I was so excited. I was getting closer and closer. And I had all these apps that I was about to uh, blast off one week and I had all these amazing friends that would come back and visit uh, the flight school and, you know, they would come back in their airline uniform and we just thought they were, they were, you know, this, this godlike figure coming, coming back and, and visiting us. And, and uh, yeah, it was just, it was amazing. So that was my intent. However, as timing and luck would have it. <laughs> My timing in this career has been impeccable, by the way. <laughs> right before I started applying, the the few friends that had gotten hired a couple months prior were now starting to get furlough letters. 
which to me was unbelievable. I didn't realize, you know, that they could do that, but it wasn't until then that I learned this, um, common phrase, you know, airlines don't, airlines will hire you until the day they decide to furlough you. (laughs) So when I started to kind of see the writing on the wall and notice that, man, I, I just don't think this is going to work out the way I imagined. Um, it just so happened to be timing kind of worked uh, in, in a miraculous way again. One of my students really enjoyed the way I, I taught, and we had been paired up together for a number of his different ratings. And at the end, when he finished his program, um, his father had actually been the director of operations for a small charter company. And he left the program and then got in touch with me uh, about two months later and said, Maggie, you know, we have an opening for an SIC position. Would you be interested? And, you know, at the time, I really didn't know what to do because the airlines I was thinking of hadn't necessarily announced that they were furloughing. So I thought there may be a chance and it may make sense for me to go that route. But my intuition told me that it wouldn't be a good path. And and somehow down the road, I would regret it. So I decided to veer left. I took him up on that offer. I flew to Salt Lake City, got the interview, ended up getting the job. And then a month or two later, left for my first corporate job. And that job was flying a Lear 35 with extended tip tanks, which looked like missiles on the side of the wing, (laughs) and also flying a Citation II. So what that position entailed is for two months, I would fly the Lear, and then I would rotate, and for two months, I'd fly the Citation. That's pretty good, because then at least you have like familiarity with the two airplanes. You know, it's not going back and forth one or the other. So that's not terrible. It's not. It was it was cool to experience two very different airplanes. Although I have to say, when I would transition from the Lear to the Citation, um, I remember one particular flight. I put my hand on the throttles and I I pushed them full forward. We we're getting ready for takeoff, and I literally thought we had lost an engine. I almost pulled them back, and then I realized, oh wait. I'm not in the Lear. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. The citation to most citations are not breaking any speed barriers. That's for sure. Yeah. That plane in particular, oh, it was, uh, it was, it was nicknamed slotation for a reason. Yeah. Uh, I fear. The latitude I fly is not the fastest airplane in the world, but the good thing is it's a very comfortable airplane. So you kind of have a trade off. Yeah. And you know what? Your flight deck is, is pretty beautiful. It is. It's crazy, right? The corporate corporate world's changing for the better. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a nice, nice setup. Absolutely. What was the corporate world? You obviously didn't, not obviously, but it sounds like you didn't know too much about the corporate world. So did you have any, did you reach out to anyone to see if this was a good idea or do you just go on, go off your intuition? Uh, Purely intuition. That's awesome. (laughs) At least you trust yourself and it sounded like it was the right decision. You know, it was and it wasn't. I can't say that it was um, 100% the right path because as with anything, there there are benefits, pluses and minuses to everything you do. So I naively thought that I would perhaps build my time faster, believe it or not, in the corporate world. And once my 
you know, the few friends that did end up getting furloughed once they got recalled back. I mean, they were flying like 90 hours a month and I would fly a lot, but there's no way I could match their, their hours uh, with what I was doing in the corporate side. So again, you know, it was kind of a learning process, but I definitely got to experience a lot of different types of flying. And for that, I'll, I'll forever be grateful for because the corporate world will always have a really big spot in my heart. I, I loved, I loved the majority of, of my time, uh, doing that. So I don't regret it, even though it was a little bit slower. Yeah, it it definitely can be slower. There's a lot more you got to do on the ground and you're not just going to a gate for 20 minutes and taking back off for another flight. It's like you're usually on the ground for anywhere from an hour minimum or maybe if a quick turn, it could be like 15 minutes, but those are rare to sitting on the ground for who knows all day waiting for that return trip back, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. What? uh, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, that kind of adds to, um, you know, it just adds a little bit something to it too. It's not the same routine. (laughs) No, definitely not. And I'm the type of person that I don't think I could... I mean, I'm sure I could do it. I could get paid to do pretty much a lot of things in the aviation world, but it's not my goal to fly from Chicago to Moline, Moline back to Chicago, Chicago to St. Louis. You know, like I, that would just drive me insane. It's having the ability to go, if you don't know if you're going to be in the Bahamas, Jackson Hole, Mexico, Canada, anywhere in the United States, it's, it's really kind of cool and thrilling. Now the the craziness, there is a lot of craziness in the corporate world that you don't have in the, <laughs> in the airline world, but we also don't have to worry as much about like being on time. Whenever they show up, they're on, that's their time. Like there's no really like early or late. So whenever your owners show up, that's when it's time to go, you know? Yeah, that's right. Listen, I, everything that you have said, I completely agree with. I think we just need to come up with a third type of uh, airline. Count me in. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> that combines the the good things from the airline world and the good things from corporate. Oh, that'd be perfect. Set. Yeah. Too bad we don't have. It probably take a couple billion dollars to come up with that. Yeah, we need some money. <laughs> I know, right? So, if anyone wants to go ahead and fund this, please let us know. <laughs> what was after the the Lear thirty five and the Citation two? What did you fly next? So I uh, flew uh, part one thirty five. Uh, and actually quite a little bit of part 91 in this corporate, um, uh, outfit as well, but I was flying challenger three hundreds. Yeah. And I have to say that airplane was amazing. I loved that airplane. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we used to call it like the, the chubby wubby, but it just, it was so maneuverable. It, It stopped on a dime. It went anywhere. And I have to say the camaraderie I built there at that company was incredible. I mean, there were pilots here on a layover in Chicago that um, one of the captains, I haven't flown with him in a decade. And we just picked right up, like no time had passed. (laughs) And I still keep in touch with quite a lot of the pilots from there. So I, I remember that time very fondly. And you know, I had a schedule then that was 15 days on, 13 days off. So it was pretty strenuous. And all 15 days, most of the time I was flying and flying a lot. So I can say without a shadow of a doubt that I had probably uh, not been more tired than 
when I was working that job. What would you, what do you like better? Do you like, so obviously 15 days on is absolutely terrible and you're tired, you're working a lot, but 13 days off on the other hand is absolutely amazing. And you can't get that at many airlines. What do you, now that you've experienced both, what would you rather have? Would you rather have the extended time off or would you rather have the flexibility to create a schedule that works best with your life? You know, it's funny you say that because when it's kind of, (laughs) sometimes people fall victim to believing that the grass is always greener on the other side. So at the time, you know, I was working really hard, long hours. And again, not knowing when and if at all, the next better thing would come along. So I think I took away a little bit from that joy that, um, that schedule entailed. So I, I really loved having almost two weeks off. However, I always thought that having more flexible schedule and more control over my schedule will ultimately be better. But what I found is in the airline world, sometimes I tend to unconsciously gravitate towards putting all my trips in a block of a week or so, and then having you know, a week or more off at a time. So I think maybe a slight combination of the two would be ideal, but it depends, you know, it really depends. I think when you're young and you don't have too many responsibilities as far as maybe kids um, or a spouse having a, being gone for those extended periods um, doesn't affect you as much. No, it definitely doesn't. And when you're younger, it's like, go after the fun job, you know, like go have fun, go find a global job and go fly all over the world. If you can, if you can get paid to do it. Cause it's a, it's a good time. At least it looks like it. I want to know, <laughs> but it looks fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, did you go to the major airlines after this job or was there another job after that? No, so there was another job. So I flew for a Fortune 500 company and I received um, a job on the West Coast flying a Gulfstream 550. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that airplane was, um, the only thing I could compare it to is, you know, that um, that kid in middle school, that's just just too cool for school. And he has the lunch uh, table all to himself and he gets to choose and pick who gets to sit at his table. Uh, that's the Gulfstream. It's a, it's a little snotty, snooty, and maybe snotty. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anyone explain it like that, but that makes so much sense. And that's the best way to explain that. Oh my goodness. And it's so funny because uh, the airplane doesn't really match my personality. And what I mean by that is you have to have a little bit of this. I don't know. I I would, I would joke with, with my crews, you could kind of tell a Gulfstream crew walking down the ramp by the way they kind of strut across the tarmac. (laughs) They think they're better than everyone else. So that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think they're superior. There's definitely superiority. It's kind of like a 787 pilot. I'm guessing thinks that they're better than the 320 pilot, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely the thing. What did you think about? So what was your favorite thing about the Gulfstream? 
So I, what I loved about the Gulfstream was it was a very slick airplane and it just flew beautifully. Um, it had, you know, four really large screens. So it was very advanced and seemed way ahead of its time. It had a HUD. It was just, and it was, it's a pretty airplane to look at. And as we all know, it has very, very long legs. So what I loved the most about it was that job and that position and the aircraft enabled me to literally travel the globe to places that I would have never experienced um, and probably won't even as a commercial airline pilot. So just to give you an idea, I flew to places like Kazakhstan and South Africa uh, I flew to Singapore. We went to Perth, Australia. I mean, it was it was insane. So that that aspect was really, really eye opening, and it was really lovely. But the downside was sometimes we would do this with a two man crew, and that part was not so fun. Fourteen hours, fifteen hours yeah. a year. Yeah, so just to put things in perspective, you know, at the airlines, that type of flight time requires four people. <laughs> so at least two of those pilots are getting seven hours of rest. <laughs> That's basically a full night's sleep. The Part 91-135 world is very interesting, <laughs> you know? with uh, the rest rules and how it's just kind of, I don't know, it, it just kind of baffles me that 121 can have such a better rest environment. I mean, some people complain about that too, but how the 121 world can have way more regulations than a 91 world, you know, it's just crazy. It is. And it baffles me as well because we are, you know, you and I are the same person. We are, what I mean by that, we're, we're a pilot. So a pilot is a pilot. What you're doing in you know, in your latitude isn't what a, any different than what I'm doing in the Gulfstream. So who's to say that I'm going to be less tired or you're going to be more tired? It's just silly. The flight time is the flight time. <laughs> it's pretty black and white to me, but somehow it doesn't uh, translate. I guess one of those things that just is what it is, right? It's like it's just the yeah. nature of the beast. And that's one of the reasons why 121 jobs can kind of look more appealing to some people because you don't have to worry about being a, I mean, we don't have two men crew or two women crew uh, be flying 16 hours at a time. We, we abide by rest by certain rules as well. So we're not like a true 91 operator, but it is insane that that's actually a thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I have to say having that experience also gives me a little bit of a different appreciation being in the position that I am now, because I do hear people complaining for various things in the airline world. And I just think back to some of the flights I did and I think, oh man, guys, you, you know, guys, you girls, no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. Yeah. So funny. That's really cool. I guess another good question off that is well, we'll come back to talk about how you got to where you are, but have you noticed any big differences in the pilots you fly with based on yourself? And what I mean by that is you went the 91-135 route and then jumped to a 121 carrier. Did you notice any huge differences in how you operate, how you think, or, or is every single pilot pretty much the same? 
No, I think your experience really shapes the way you carry yourself, the way you think, the way you handle certain situations for better or for worse. And I'm not, you know, saying I'm, I'm particularly better than anyone or vice versa, but it does give you exposure to things um, that some people may have never had any exposure to. So I, I, like I just mentioned the appreciation for, for the flight time and the rules um, that also goes hand in hand with things like being able to deal with passengers. You know, to me at this point, it's almost like second nature because I would speak to passengers, um, CEOs of, you know, multi-million dollar, you know, billion, we're talking yeah. almost, almost billion dollar yeah. companies. Uh, on a first name basis. Uh, and I sometimes fly with captains today that when we have a delay or uh, some issue comes up, you know, they have to carefully curate what they're about to say because it's not as easy for them. It's not um, as natural. So there are, there are some differences for sure. Yeah. There's nothing like, uh, giving some bad news to the, the very important person in the back of the airplane and like, well, this will be interesting, you know, and 99% of the time, those conversations go very well because they're all traveled. They are seasoned travelers and they've seen a lot of things. So you come up with a delay and they're like, oh, that's fine. And you're like, oh gosh, thank goodness. I've been worrying about that conversation, but <laughs> you definitely, definitely have to have some pretty good people skills and, and really kind of understand how to be a chameleon and and know what they want, if they want to talk or not. Cause every day you fly someone, it's going to be different. So you just got to kind of read the room and understand if they want to chat, if they don't want to chat, you know, you don't want to be too chatty or not chatty enough. So it's very interesting. Absolutely. And another thing I would like to add to that is, you know, people ultimately at the end of the day, they really want to know that you just care. <laughs> and if you give them that feeling that, you know, you're not just delivering news because that's just the way it is, you know, the weather stinks and we just can't get in. So, you know, sit there and, and like it because there's nothing I can do about it. There's a certain uh, method of delivering that news that also makes a huge difference. So, but just like you said, you have to read the room. Definitely. So how did you get to where you are at the, your final job, your, your forever job? Were you nervous? I guess this is a better question, but were you nervous that you didn't have any 121 time and they were not going to hire you? Or were you pretty confident that you had enough to offer that they would uh, be more than happy to offer the, to offer you the job? Because a lot of times, 121, especially a couple of years ago, they didn't hire every 91 pilot or even consider it. You're right, Justin. And you know, I actually was very nervous about this because I had attempted to get uh, this position for quite some time. So it didn't happen necessarily easily or overnight. It took uh, a few years. And, you know, the industry does have a little bit, the timing does play a role into all of this as well. But I really thought I was honestly at a disadvantage because of not having that, uh, what everyone considered very valuable 121 time. And ultimately, you know, it, it really just depends. Um, I think the dynamic of the industry is changing so that it's not looked upon in the way that you and I used to think it did. Um, I think everyone has a little bit 
the playing field's getting a little bit more even. But I thought I was at a disadvantage to the point where I wanted to check as many boxes as I could. So I ended up um, actually going to uh, airline dispatcher school and becoming a licensed dispatcher. Just to, just to see, you know, one, it would be good to have in my back pocket. Um, it was very interesting. It was, it was difficult. It was much more difficult than I expected, but it was eye-opening too. And two, I thought, you know, shoot, that's just another, another little box I could check that could help me out. So when I finally got the call, I was really excited because it, it took a little while for sure. Was training harder for you because you didn't know the 121 rules? Like, did they expect you to come in with the same knowledge that a 20-year-old FO for 10 or 20-year FO or 10-year FO from whatever regional came in with? Or did they teach you as you went? So, you know, thankfully, the environment was was very welcoming. I think uh, as a result of also getting quite a large number of military pilots who the majority also did not have any 121 experience. So we were kind of in similar boats where (laughs) we had to navigate this new world together. So the instructors were actually very helpful. They they took their time and I was paired up with a phenomenal captain that I actually just ran into. Um, (laughs) he, He was just, you know, he was, he was so patient and kind and helpful. And he had also spent, um, I think, two decades on the airplane. And he just decided to switch over to the other side. So <laughs> any extra time I wanted or any any time I, I wanted to kind of encroach on, on his 50% of the sim, he'd just tell me, have at it. So that was I, I was very lucky from yeah, that aspect, awesome. for sure. That's so cool. Yeah, Not everyone has that experience. So that's really cool that you had that. Yeah, I now, agree. Now, the big question is how the industry has turned out. Say you're going through this process of uh, deciding to, to join that 91 operator or maybe go to a regional right now. Would you today, so even someone, you're giving advice to someone, would you tell someone to to go the fun route and uh, kind of enjoy your time and, and fly some different airplanes and then come to a major later? Or would you say, no, uh, the way the industry looks right now, you should probably just go to regional and then come to major once your flow comes up or once you get your number called? You know, so again, I would recommend they take their time because, you know, the experience, like I mentioned, the experience I received, I just don't know if I'll ever get that type of flying. And Plus, you know, once you're kind of situated and you find your job and the way that the airline industry is shaping up to be for the foreseeable future, I don't necessarily think people are going to have a very difficult time getting hired on as long as you do everything, you know, well and you study and you do a good job. I think that end goal, if you want to go to the airlines, should still be there for quite some time. So why not do different things, enjoy the ride, you know, experience other, other, I think the corporate route is phenomenal because it's just so different. It's unlike anything that you do later on in life. It's, it's, uh, exciting. <laughs> it's unpredictable. You get to fly people that you never thought you would. I mean, 
I influence so many A-list celebrities and athletes. And not to say that that's what makes it cool, but you know, it's not every day that someone gets to say, Hey, I, uh, I gave, um, Reese Witherspoon a high five and carried her kiddos, um, backpacks up, you know, it's just, (laughs) it's very different. It is very different. And and some people love it and some people don't. That's the beauty of it. It's like Android and Apple. There's multiple options for you to choose. And not everyone has to be a 121 major airline pilot to have a fulfilling career. You can fight fires. You can fly for fractionals. You can fly just standard corporate. There's so many things that you can do. And I I think it's best to, to find what works best for you. Not everyone's an airline pilot. There are many, 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 many unhappy airline pilots, and I'm sure you've seen them. And it is, there's many unhappy corporate pilots too, but you just got to find what works for us best for you. And if it's, maybe it's not making $500,000 flying a a 350 for Delta. Maybe it's making a decent amount of money flying a a Gulfstream or a Global or even a Latitude. You know, there's so many different things you can do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So you mentioned before that you started a little side hustle. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So uh, during the pandemic, uh, things were not looking that great. Um, you know, for, for a lot of folks, uh, the airline industry, as we all know, got hit pretty hard. And um, I had always wanted to do some sort of a business. Uh, and I just didn't. I didn't know if I'd ever have the opportunity because flying really did take quite a lot of my time. And the little free time I did have would probably just, you know, in the past would just be spent traveling or just relaxing at home. So um, my love of healthy living and healthy food started actually in flight school. And it was then that I realized, you know, how big a, of an impact food really has on your well-being. Uh, a couple of very close friends ended up getting sick. And just as our careers were beginning and we were, we were at, you know, the very start of what we thought would be a lifelong career, um, a couple of them ended up losing their medicals. And when, a, when that happens to a pilot, as you know, it's pretty detrimental because all of a sudden your whole career uh, disappears. So uh, I quickly realized how important nutrition and how we feed and nourish our bodies has on your well-being. And so a few years after after that, I went to uh, an institute of nutrition, got a health certification. Uh, it was a school I did for a couple of years. I learned as much as I could about nutrition and health. And uh, I would mentor actually a lot of captains I would fly with and flight crews and give them advice and coach them on the side. But that wasn't my intent. I did it more just to learn for me. And when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden I wasn't flying across the pond internationally, because at the time I was flying a a 767, and bake and cook and just focus on food, <laughs> really. So I started to make really healthy snacks. And um, I recently launched uh, a food company where we make a really healthy, nutritious granola that is not oat-based. Um, it's keto. It has zero added sugars. 
Um, it's low calorie. It uses gluten and grain-free ingredients. And I use basically all superfoods. So it's something that you could take on the road that's easy. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it was a passion project for a long time. That's awesome. And now you kind of went full, are you more like a full-blown side hustle now, or is it still kind of just a passion project? Um, so it's a full-blown side hustle. Um, if you were to ask my bank account, it would tell you that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I, I treat it as, um, I treat it as a passion and, and a, a little bit of a hobby. Um, I just, I love what it what it stands for um i hope to help other people i hope to help make their lives a little bit easier on the road um help nourish them in a better way than some of the things that are offered today yeah that's great and yeah see where it goes from here i'll have to try some i need it i'm always down to try some granola yeah so you know we're actually uh we're we're going to be launching um within uh a week <laughs> but um for all your listeners uh i would love to offer them 20 percent discount um the code is going to be pilot to pilot and they could go on the website which is um www.avi-foods.com and that's avi I love it. Well, cool. I can't wait to try it. Can't wait for everyone to hear about it and, and go after it. That, that's really cool. I always love a pilot that has a side hustle. Uh, like you said, you never know what's going to happen. And it sounds like you have pretty much from dispatch to uh, learning nutrition, <laughs> you have pretty much come up with some some backup plans if you need one. So that's really cool. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Yeah, Justin, I'm, yeah, I, I, I always have 20 things going on at <laughs> once. So, that's so cool. <laughs> it's a little crazy. <laughs> Well, I have some rapid fire questions for you, if you don't mind. These are just uh, quick questions and you answer the first answer that comes to your head. Is that all right? Today's rapid fire section is sponsored by Sirius XM Aviation. With high resolution coast to coast composite radar and cloud to cloud, cloud to ground lightning updated every 2.5 minutes along with always available weather products like METARs, Echo Tops, and Storm Tracks. Sirius XM lets you fly confidently knowing that your weather information is available at 500 feet or at your destination 500 miles ahead. Check out aopa.org forward slash SiriusXM to get a two-month free trial to try these products out for yourself. Sure. All right. What's your favorite airplane you've ever flown? Ooh. Uh, Let's see the Gulfstream. (laughs) What's your favorite airliner? Uh, 787, even though I've never flown one. Can I say that? Yeah, you can. For sure. Everyone agrees with you. What's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Um, is it called the Avanti? Piaggio. Piaggio. Yeah, it's a. I think it's the Avanti Piaggio, maybe, or maybe the airline was Avanti. But yeah, I think you're going for a Piaggio. Yes. yes. Uh, I mean, I hate to be mean, but that's just that. that no, thing you can is be mean pretty. for that plane. It's okay. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, it's the Avanti Piaggio P180. No bueno. Uh. Wow, you you know it's full it's full legal name. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, what's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Um, how how much time I would really spend away from home? Yes, you think you know, but you have no idea until you actually do it. Exactly. Yeah. 
what is or who is one person in the industry you would like to meet most? It could be someone uh, from the past or someone in the present. Um, Bob Hoover. Ooh, that'd be cool. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about aviation? Overall, just one thing that you love. You know, this is a, a very common answer, but uh, the community. There's a, there's a lot of camaraderie. I love our group. What's the hardest flight you've ever flown? The hardest flight I've ever flown. So it could be a check ride. It could have been like a crazy landing, crazy approach, or just a flight that you look back on and you're like, I did not enjoy that. Um, I think the time I had to circle in Teterboro in just the one what? time you only had to circle one oh, time. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I've had to circle about a hundred times, yeah. <laughs> but the one time I'm thinking of, it was of course raining sideways, 30 knot winds. Uh, <laughs> it was just awful at night, you know, it's kind of like that story, snow, snowing uphill both ways to school is that kind of deal. Teterboro can definitely be interesting. They are ruled by Newark. Whatever Newark's doing, Teterboro has to do. And it doesn't always favor the, the best runway for Teterboro. I don't think it ever favors no, it the best runway. It definitely doesn't. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, what's your favorite uh, favorite flight you've ever flown? Uh, maybe after you passed a check ride or your first solo, what's your overall favorite flight? Uh, my favorite flight was probably my long cross country. <laughs> That's cool. Where'd you go? Oh my goodness. Um, I went, I don't even remember, but it was from Champaign to some small town in Michigan. Um, another place. And yeah, uh, I remember listening to the presidential elections on the ADF. Oh, no way. That's awesome. <laughs> on the radio. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> All the younger pirates like, what's an ADF? I don't know what that I is. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm dating myself. Would you rather fly IFR or VFR? VFR. What's your favorite airport food? So you have a um, 30 minute connection. You need to get some airport food. What are you getting? Um, I think, I don't know. I'm big on salads. I think a, a guacamole salad, if I can get my hands on one. Would you rather fly over the mountains, beaches, city, or ocean? Beaches. Airbus or Boeing? Airbus. Favorite airline livery? Oh, um, I'm going to be very patriotic here and say lot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love it. Would you rather fly a long trip or as many short trips? And by long trip, I mean you're flying that Gulf Stream for as long as you possibly can in a Part 91 setting with two crew, or you are in a Airbus and you are doing as many short trips that you can do in a day. Oh, man. Both sound um, terrible. <laughs> a hard pass on both. Yeah. But if I had to choose one, you know what? I'm a pilot, so let's let's do as many legs as there possible. What's the hardest check ride you ever had? Um I think instrument. What is the biggest regret of your career if you have one? No, I don't have any. What's you the know, biggest for better win of your or worse? Career? Yeah. What's the biggest win of your career? Like the best moment of your career? You know, it's just, an, I don't have one either. Yeah. Because they were all, they, they all meant something. I love it. That's a good way to look at it. You skipped the regionals, but when you're commuting, would you rather fly in a CRJ or an ERJ? 
Honestly, I don't even know if I could tell the difference. <laughs> Would you rather fly a, a Piper or a Cessna? Piper. 141 trading versus 61 trading. What would you go back and do? I think I would do 61. And last but not least, you cannot say a lot. What is your overall favorite airline of all time that you could fly on? Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, I don't know. You got to choose. Uh... Oh my goodness. Justin. <laughs> it's all right. If you don't want to choose, you don't have to. Don't worry. I don't know. I don't know what my favorite is. I don't have one. That works too. Maybe the Gulfstream would be the favorite, right? You know what? You and I come up with an airline together. That would be my favorite. There and we'll have the best of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Well, Maggie, those are all the questions I have for you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I had a lot of fun talking with you. I wish you the best in your career and keeping an inspiration uh, for for everyone, whether it's women wanting to be in aviation or people seeing your route and how you went, how you didn't go the normal route. You went a very different route than most of the people you fly with. So it's really cool to see someone from the 91 side make it to the major 121 area and just keep killing it. So uh, it's awesome to see. And uh, I'm thankful for you coming on the podcast. Oh, I'm very thankful for finally getting a chance to speak to you. Um, <laughs> you are just as an equal of an inspiration to so many people. So thank you for doing good things to, in this world with, with regards to aviation and, and life in general. We really appreciate you. Thank you. So, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you so much again, like I said, and I hope you have a good day. You too. Bye. That is a wrap of episode 218 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Like I said, if you enjoy it, leave a review, take someone's phone, make sure they subscribe. I want to hear someone at least tell me that they they took their best friend's phone who has no interest in aviation and subscribed to the podcast. So make sure you do that. Uh, I hope you guys are having a great day. And as always, happy flying. <laughs>